Hello and welcome to episode 20 of Cutting It Close with Cliff Bailey. I am your host, Cliff Bailey. So we've had a couple issues getting this one out. Uh, we're two days late now. It's coming out the 21st instead of the 19th. And yeah, just um, wasn't able to get out the 19th because that was the day I was wrapping up post-production on Return to Life and then submitting it to uh, South by Southwest before their official deadline was over. And then uh, I'm actually recording this today on the 20th <clears throat> because I uh, had some technical issues. I can't find the iPad that has the good quality recording on it, but I think I know where it is. Anyway, I haven't been able to really look for it and find it. Uh, in time to get this out. I still might get it out tonight, Hawaii Standard Time, the 20th, but uh, for all intents and purposes, we'll just say release date the 21st. Now, this is probably going to be the last one I do for a while, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, and who knows, that could change in a couple weeks' time. The fact is, I've spent the last couple weeks really uh, busting my butt to get Return to Life done, and I have done so at the expense of my schoolwork. So I need to spend some time catching up on that, getting back into some kind of semblance of a routine, and that does not include podcasts. I mean, there's just too many things on the boat, some things have to go for a swim. And uh, fortunately, the podcast is one of those things. But you can still catch up with uh, yeah, stuff that I'm doing uh, on Instagram at Cliff E. Bailey, or if you want to follow the Return to Life Project, that's the most exciting thing really going on. Uh, please consider following us on Instagram at Return to Life TV. Uh, back today's guest, Sarah Dancer, plays a key role in Return to Life. Yeah, we, let's see, she responded to a casting call. This would have been back in February or so. And we needed someone to play the Berserkers. Berserkers are, think, think the zombies, the rage virus zombies of 28 days later or 28 weeks later. Um, Berserkers, yeah, they're, they're crazy zombie-like uh, creatures who have, uh, well, they kind of look like Darth Maul, but blue and black instead of red and black, and each one has a unique design uh, on their face and on their bodies, and Sarah plays one of the Berserkers who ends up getting shot through the heart, Bon Jovi style. Uh, yeah, so she was great to work with, a lot of fun. This is the first time we've actually sat down and talked, and I knew she was an interesting individual because she spends a lot of time on a boat, including living. She doesn't exclusively exclusively live on a boat, as you'll uh, hear in our conversation, but um, yeah, and just following her on Instagram, um, she does a lot of uh, cool stuff, traveling around, getting into things, and uh, yeah, and certainly not the least of which, uh, she was uh, on Naked and Afraid. See, oh shoot, I forget which season. Uh, but then she she did it again for Naked and Afraid XL, so you can look her up, Sarah Dancer, just like dancing but with an S instead, Sarah with an H, Dancer with an S. Had a really good time talking to her. She is super cool, super groovy, one of my favorite humans, and I, I do hope that our paths continue to cross. Um, yeah, even st after we were done recording, still stayed for a good 20, maybe even 30 minutes just uh, talking about stuff she didn't really want to talk about on the mic, and I can certainly understand that, because uh, 
yeah, you just there's some things meant to be between friends. So and and yeah, count her as a friend. Yeah, she's cool, and I think you'll like her too. So that's it. Yeah, I'm done with the Patreon pretty much because um, that's just along with the podcast. Ooh, yeah. But uh, as we as I was saying before about Return to Life, we will start just focusing our energies. By our, I mean me, myself, and I on uh, raising awareness, publicity, marketing, raising some money to help support the film festival submissions for Return to Life. It's very exciting. Yes, I am uh, super proud of how it's turned out. It's not flawless, but it is definitely the biggest and best production I've I've been, been in charge of and uh, spearheaded and whatnot. Um, I'm careful about how I phrase that because I couldn't have done it without uh, the amazing cast and crew, but this is not a time and place for that. Um, check it out at Return to Life TV. But right now, check out this podcast, episode 20 of Cutting It Close with Cliff Bailey with Sarah Dancer. And uh, like I said, we'll take some time off, but we will be back again. So please continue to follow us and you'll see us again on your Instagram feed or Facebook feed uh, sometime in the future. But uh, here we go uh, with Sarah Dancer. Oh, yes. I think there's a fan blowing on us. It's no better. I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah. All right. All right. So hello. Hello there. <laughs> um, yeah, how's it going? It's been a while. I think it's since shooting. Since Return to Life. Yeah. Yeah, when I had all the black. Black and blue. Black and blue on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've been very busy. Um, yeah, what have, what have you been up to? I have been embarking on a series of adventures. Mm-hmm. Not particularly pointed adventures, just sort of aimless wanderings. Mm-hmm. Which are wonderful, all yeah. of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess I'm sort of struggling to find direction in my life. I consider uh, myself an adventurer. Yes. And I love going on adventures, but mm-hmm. I feel like I'm I'm missing some focus or some purpose. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned quarter life crisis as we were coming aboard. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm setting up a backup recorder at the moment. Um. Yeah. So. Um, well, shucks. See where you've been, because uh, we met through Return to Life. You responded to a casting call, is that right? Correct. And you've done other film work, but most notably, you pointed out you were on Naked and Afraid. Yep. Which is pretty rad. Um, I can't find my freaking audio recorder. I'm sorry. Well, we'll just trust that. Well, I want to find it. Do you edit the stuff in post, or do you just? Oh uh, no, I don't really edit it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just very, just blah. Free flow. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, uh, was that like your first time getting on TV or in the film TV industry? That was definitely my first time appearing on screen, and especially in a national capacity. Mm-hmm. I've been interested in acting and film work for a while, but uh, that's my first credit for sure. Okay, right on. How, and how, how did that work? How did you get into it? How did you hear about it? What's the process? Well, I, I have a dream. Hmm. I am an entomologist. Oh, that's uh, plants. That right? is insects. Insects. That's my second guess. So my dream is to travel the world mm-hmm. to the most remote regions of the planet mm-hmm. to collect and document species that nobody has ever seen. Cool. So I got my degree 
at CU Boulder in ecology and evolutionary biology. Okay. Specialized in entomology and had a research mentor mm. uh, that I worked on a project with. Mm -hmm. And I learned from him as I was looking into the field, maybe I could be a professor, maybe I could go into academia, do some research. Mm -hmm. I learned from him that academia is largely begging for money. Mm -hmm. you, you just spend your time writing grants, working the day-to-day, -day, kind of a job teaching, um, and like maybe, maybe you can get a grant and go on a two-weekend adventure in a year. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, that doesn't, that doesn't really sound like my dream. Mm -hmm. I'd, I thought I would go to grad school. I was pretty certain of it, that I would graduate. I didn't even invite my family to huh? my graduation because I was like, this yeah. is just one step along <laughs> the way. Sure. But uh, I actually ended up going to West Africa wow. after I graduated instead. Just a wonderful opportunity that came up and I took it. So I spent six months there mm -hmm. collecting insects in the, in the area. Cool. Unfortunately, my collection got fucked up in customs. Oh no. Yeah, it's a shame. Shit. But the work was rewarding. That's good. Um, that was kind of what I wanted to do. That was me testing out what I like. You mm -hmm. know, go to a foreign place, a place where nobody's ever studied the insects before, collect them, mm -hmm. uh, talk with and hang out with and befriend people in the local population. Mm -hmm. It was an, a wonderful adventure and I want more of that. Mm -hmm. So I came back to the States, moved to Hawaii, um, and I started working at the Bishop Museum. Oh, cool. The Bishop Museum has the third largest insect collection in the United States. I did not know that. And the single largest collection of insects from all around the Pacific. Awesome. So I got a volunteer position in the entomology department there. Okay. And worked with them for a year. And how long was this? How long ago was this? This was two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I've been in Hawaii for coming on four years now. No, no kidding. Yeah. Okay. So while I was at the Bishop Museum, mm -hmm. Something like 60% of the tenured researchers, mm -hmm. the people who had made it their job, their career, their life, to the collection, to entomology, to all of the different research departments in the museum, mm -hmm. were just upped and fired. <laughs> fired. Holy cow. Oh, you know what? I think I heard about this, actually, because I applied for a job there recently, um, well, this past summer, and they mentioned something about how a few years ago there was, like, a huge... I guess budget cut or something, and so they're now just now starting to restaff. Oh, that's good news! I'm or glad something. they're restaffing. Yeah. Because for me, as yeah. a young person trying to find my way towards my ultimate dream, mm -hmm. <laughs> it was extremely discouraging. Yeah. This is my dream. This is what I want to do. Yeah. I can't do the research because I don't want to have to apply for grants forever and always, and mm -hmm. just be begging constantly. And apparently, I can't do the museum stuff either because there's no money for that. Nobody's paying people to do research anymore. So I was like, "Well, shit. Yeah. I gotta figure this out some some other way." Uh huh. So I started thinking about the people that I admire who have done similar things in the past, mm. like Jacques Cousteau. Mm. Jacques Cousteau was an inventor. Obviously, mm. he made the aqualung and made it made it even possible to go and explore underwater but one of the most important things that Jacques Cousteau did was to create a TV show ah. it was because of his TV show I would say secondarily to the invention of the aqualung obviously mm. sure. uh, that first ever first time ever shared the underwater world with the mass public mm. he was an educator an explorer an mm. innovator and it was because of television mm. Another big one that I think everybody can agree with here is Steve Irwin. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Steve Irwin did a similar thing. He found a part of the world, or rather a clade of creatures, reptiles, mm -hmm. that had previously been sort of disdained. Nobody liked reptiles. Nobody wanted anything to do with reptiles. They're gross and yeah. scary. <laughs> and he was like, no, Crikey, they're the best. <laughs> You're going to love them. Yeah. And he made a TV show. Uh -huh. And he was able to travel all around the world and do all kinds of wonderful things and have a really positive impact, not only on the people in his, in his life, but it, on, the, on the masses. Mm. Everybody loved him mm -hmm. dearly and oh, yes. still do. You Absolutely. know, he made a legacy. And I'm I'm certain that he's almost single-handedly responsible for educating people and ameliorating reptiles mm -hmm. to the world. Sure. So I was like, well, hey man, TV, television. Right. That might work. And I just so happened to be interested in a part of the world, or rather a clade of creatures mm -hmm. in the world, mm -hmm. that people don't really know that much about. Mm -hmm. Insects. Yes. So I started thinking, like, how can I get into film and the media mm -hmm. as a young 20-something nobody <laughs> know-how? <All> right. <laughs> Um, so I, I applied for a couple shows. Okay. Just reality TV, you know. So I don't know. Just throw it out there. Yeah. You know, just, just to see if it was a thing. Uh -huh. I applied first for a really terrible show. <laughs> Sometimes when you apply for stuff or you audition for stuff, mm -hmm. after the fact you're like, ooh, yeah. Thank God. <laughs> oh man. Uh -huh. Yeah. The, it was called Utopia, uh -huh. and it was supposed to be like a 24-hour surveillance with many, many cameras in uh, like a, some number of acreage place, where for the first time ever, audiences would be able to pay for a subscription to log into any of the cameras oh. to watch these people establish a quote Utopia. Interesting. The show flopped. Yeah, I never heard of it. It was a really innovative idea. It was mm -hmm. it was different than anything that had been done before, and I think for that reason it it uh, it struggled. But it gained a lot of acclaim before casting, and I think I think the problem that happened was that they cast for drama. Uh -huh. They didn't actually give the people a chance to create a society. Mm -hmm. They set them up to bicker and bother and have sex with each other. And yeah, it, was, it was trash, you know, and, yeah. and, and apparently it was not what people wanted to see mm -hmm. because people stopped watching it Yeah, and it tanked, so mm -hmm. thank God. But that was the first one okay. that I did, mm -hmm. which was good practice. You oh, know, yeah. it's actually really frustrating in a way, but, but simultaneously rewarding to apply for something mm -hmm like that because you have to produce a lot of footage mm. you've got to show your stuff you got to make what's called b-roll okay and because i had that experience with going around my property showing off my stuff mm -hmm. showing composting going for hikes taking just taking video in the first place mm -hmm. it made it easier for me to do it the next time nice so if i guess if i have a piece of advice to anybody that wants to get into reality television mm -hmm. is to start accumulating b-roll footage if you're going on an adventure mm -hmm. if you're doing something fun if you're doing whatever it is that you like to do that you feel you want to provide uh, to the world mm -hmm. film it okay. put it on a hard drive and keep it for later just in case some opportunity comes up hmm. nice. that show didn't come through right. and then uh, just actually by happens I mean that was years ago um, one of my friends a fire spinner around oh, yeah. here yeah mm -hmm. Lonnie 
she said that she had applied for a show called Untitled Survival Project. Mm. It was a new show that didn't have a name yet, and they were looking for survivalists. She had applied for it. They were interested in her, but she couldn't do it because of school. Mm. So she was like, Sarah, you should, you, you should do this. Go on, go on. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I was working as a scuba diver at the time. I hadn't been thinking that, you know, that I'm clearly on course here, but mm -hmm. it came up as an opportunity. So I was like, oh, okay, sure. So I submitted a little application, and uh, the casting agency, Metal Flowers Media, mm. called me, and they were interested, and we did an on-camera interview, and uh, they said, okay, thanks for your time. Bye. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, yeah, great, whatever. I'm not. I wasn't super invested in it. Sure, didn't get cast for that one. Okay, again, mm -hmm. kind of a. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. It turned out to be kind of a bomb again. Well, it was on MTV. Okay. It was called Stranded with a Million Dollars. Oh. And I didn't. No, nobody knew the premise of the show when when we applied for it. Okay. It was just, are you a survivalist? Show us your stuff. Okay. Kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um. And they, again, cast for drama. Sure. They wanted people to fight and push each other out because it was a competition show. Uh, okay. And it was on MTV, and they right. had an age cap, which was like 25. And I think <laughs> I was 25. Okay. So I was like, whatever, I don't yeah. care. Mm -hmm. I only found out about the show many, like after all of this. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. something like five or six months later, I got a random phone call mm -hmm. from the casting agency. Oh. And they said, hey, Sarah. Remember us? <laughs> we remember you, mm -hmm. and we really like you. We didn't cast you for that other show. Uh, we were looking for younger, nastier people. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. But we have this other show. Maybe mm -hmm. you've heard of it. Naked and Afraid. Mm -hmm. And we think you'd be really good for it. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, okay, sure. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. Why not? Awesome. And that's it? That is how I ended up getting cast on Naked and Afraid. That's awesome. Rock on. So, um, you've been... You demonstrated survival skills before that, right? Correct. So, um, is that something you've just been kind of doing your whole life? Something you've been interested in? You mentioned CU. Are you from Colorado? I am originally from Colorado, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. I grew up on 20 acres in the woods. Nice and with a very adventuresome family. That's awesome. So I grew up just roaming the mountains, uh, skiing, snowboarding, backpacking, mountaineering, rock climbing, canyoneering, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. And I guess primarily because of those skills, mm. I, I also have survival skills. It's not sure. like I studied survival. Yeah, yeah. Um, but those are the kind of skills that you pick up from being adventurous. Absolutely. I did almost die one time. I actually have a real survival story. Oh my god, okay. Yeah, it's a little long. I'm going to try to condense it for oh, you. But no worries. One time my dad and I got stuck in a slot canyon in Utah. Ooh. We went out to go canyoneering. It wasn't something that we had done before, and we were looking into it, and we had the gear and the skills and the interest, so we drove out in the spring. And you have to go in the spring when it's cold. Okay. Otherwise, there is a serious risk of flash floods. Ah. So we got out to the San Rafael Swell, which is the same place, incidentally, that that guy uh, had to chop his arm off. No kidding. From 127 hours. Uh-huh. Yeah, same place. Wow. It's amazing, that area. Canyonlands are just beautiful, like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah. I'm quite fond of Utah, despite this experience. Mm. Uh, but we got into the canyon. 
and it turned out that we had entered at the wrong place. Oh. So we were farther down Canyon than we had intended to be. We thought we were going to do about an eight-hour trip, just a day trip, okay. in and out of the canyon. Mm -hmm. We had a guidebook. We had a map. We had, you know, what we consider to be our emergency survival stuff, just in case. You know, you never, oh, you yeah. never know. Of course. So we got into this canyon, mm -hmm. and uh, one thing about canyoneering is unless you've got ascending gear, mm -hmm. you really can only go down. Okay. So once you Makes repel sense. the first time, you're in. Okay. So, which is great. Canyoneering's fun. It's like an obstacle course. Mm -hmm. You've got to do whatever you have to do to keep going down. Okay. So we had our repelling gear. We had a rope. We were expecting about an 80-foot repel to be our biggest one, but we got to this place where it opened out, and it was like, ooh, like, Ooh, that is way higher than 80 feet. Uh -huh. And we had an 80-foot rope. Oh, my Or, you know, 160-foot rope. Sure. And then you double it over to do your rappel down. Okay. So we threw our rope over, and it hit a ledge in the middle of this wall. Mm -hmm. And we got down to the ledge, pulled our rope down, mm -hmm. threw it over, and it didn't touch the ground. Oh we couldn't see how far off the ground it was, but we were now in the middle of a cliff. Yes. What are you going to do? Uh-huh. So even right then, my dad and I kind of had to like exchange our <laughs> our last mm. farewell in a way. It's like, hey, oh this God. could this could go really really wrong. Uh -huh. um, there's no cell phone signal. Sure. There's no there's no way to contact anyone. Mm -hmm. There's no there's not even pro in the canyon walls for things. I mean, we're wow. just wrapping our ropes around rocks and stuff. This wow. is not charted territory. Right. Nobody has business being here, <laughs> and we didn't either. So. Mm threw the rope down and my dad went first mm -hmm. after exchanging our first sort of like holy shit kind <laughs> of an exchange mm -hmm. and uh, it was about 10 feet off the ground oh wow so he managed to drop down mm -hmm. and then I came down and had to at the very end of it grab onto one end of the rope and pull it sure so it was like a poof like wow. oh wow you know the dust gets all stirred up and uh -huh. then then we're in this even bigger canyon. Yeah. So I'm talking like 200 foot high oh walls, completely sheer. There's no climbing this rock. Uh -huh. It's been completely smoothened by the water, mm. years and years of water. Mm. You can see the striation. It's actually really beautiful. Wow. It's an amazing place. Mm -hmm. It looks like we're in a different planet. Like no it's really, really wild. That's awesome. But we figured this big canyon has got to be the main canyon mm. that we should have ended up with had we entered in the right place. Okay. So if we go up canyon, surely we'll meet up with the place where the guidebook said we'll end up. So we hiked up canyon for about four hours. <laughs> and it's not just like, oh, no, no, just right. hike and hike in. It's mm -hmm. like pretty intense stuff. Yeah. Actually, like class five climbing at places wow. where you've got to scramble up and over mm -hmm. stuff. And uh, places where you have to take your backpack off uh -huh. and then walk sideways to squeeze through these like really thin yeah. canyon walls. Hence the name Slot. Slot Canyon, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, after about four hours, we got to a place where there was a huge boulder lodged in the canyon. Mm. And there was no way around it. Mm. We tried everything couldn't even go over there was nothing we mm. could do it was like a rounded boulder uh -huh. and completely smooth cliff walls all around it uh -huh. and no way to get up the crack no way oh, to yeah. throw a hook we tried making a grappling hook mm. we tried scrambling up the cracks between the walls and the, the boulder there was nothing we could do jeez and it was getting kind of late 
Uh-huh. Like, this is about the time we should have been almost back to camp, you know, mm-hmm. so we're like, ah, yeah. this isn't good. Uh-huh. I lied, by the way. I'm not condensing the story. I'm telling a pretty detailed version It's fantastic, it. please. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, I guess this is the first time this story's been recorded. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, hmm. we can't get around it. Mm-hmm. So in a canyon, you either go up canyon or down canyon. Mm-hmm. We had just walked four hours. Yeah. And we're like, well, it's, it's only one way to go. Yeah. <laughs> we got to go back. Okay. And now, mind you, this is March. It's cold. Mm. I think the daytime temperature was like maybe 37 degrees. Wow. Maybe four. Oh, let's, let's give it a generous 45. Okay. Um, but it's also a slot canyon, so the wind uh, yeah. is coming down pretty hard mm-hmm. in this area. So it's like, you know, it starts to kind of dawn on us, or rather dusk on us, ah! that we might get benighted in this canyon. Benighted. Benighted. Benighted is one of the scariest words I ever heard as a kid, and that mm-hmm. was the fear that when you're out on an adventure and you don't intend to be out at night, mm-hmm. the night descends on you and you're benighted. Oh, okay. I did not know that. Usually when one gets benighted, you've got to make camp okay, somehow with sure. whatever you have. Is there any danger of animals down in there? No. Okay. No animals down in Slot okay. Canyon. I did find one animal. I found a really cool beetle. Ah. It was like a red-shelled beetle with a green underbelly, and it had white hairs all over it. Interesting. And I found it in a little patch of snow ah. that was down in there. And there was snow. I mean, that to give you an idea right about yeah. this place. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that was cool for me. Yeah. little beetle in the canyon. Mm-hmm. Ooh, wow. Um, okay. So, so you... Boulder, about to be benighted. Right, about to be benighted. One now, way to go. an important thing is that my dad, maybe a few months prior, had had a stroke. Oh my! A cerebellar stroke, which meant that if he couldn't see mm-hmm. where he was going, his balance was really bad. Uh, okay. So mm-hmm. in the darkness, he wouldn't really be able to move anywhere safely. Mm-hmm. We had headlamps. Okay. Always bring a headlamp. Sure. Yeah. Um, and he said, "Well." you know this is really dangerous Mm -hmm. we've got to go i mean we just hiked up this we know what's going to happen like we know all the kinds of things we got to like hunker down i said dad we're gonna die if we don't have a fire Mm. we had space blankets okay but i don't know if you've ever used a space blanket it doesn't the foil blanket yeah it's like a little mylar space blanket okay really really easy to carry Mm. always have one in your vehicle always have one in your adventure bag Mm. I've, this, this is very real. I, I don't think we would have made it without the space blankets, but mm. we also wouldn't have made it without fire. Mm-hmm. So I was like, dad, we got to make a fire. He's like, how the hell are we going to make a fire? <laughs> mm-hmm. There's no wood in this canyon. We're in the middle of a slot canyon. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, we got to figure it out. We have to keep hiking until there's some wood because mm. we literally can't do it. Yeah. I'm a tiny person. I'm like 110 pounds. Mm and uh, I don't have body fat or insulation, and we didn't have the gear (laughs) Mm -hmm. to sustain us overnight. Mm. Wow. So we hiked all the way back down the canyon Mm -hmm. and past where we had entered Mm. when we found a bit of a clearing where there was some shrub on the sides and like maybe some driftwood where when the water's not too strong, it kind of leaves a bit of debris on the sides. Mm. So we gathered up some of the wood and started making a fire. We found a rock overhang so water you're drinking the, the gross water drank the wild water yeah or did you get a, a bug or did you get the shits or was it okay 
Uh, actually, I was fine. Mm. Yeah, the wild water was fine. Nice. Generally, it's when you're looking at water, if you need something out in the in the wild, mm-hmm. um, streams and rivers are more dangerous mm. than pools. Interesting. And pu- small pools, I'm saying. Like, yeah. Little crevices in rocks and stuff. Mm. It's a lot less likely that animals would have been urinating or mm. shitting in mm-hmm. that water, and yeah. it's probably rainwater or meltwater. Okay. So it's like a pretty good bet. Yeah. Generally. <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, it was a calculated risk. Mm. Sometimes you gotta take those risks. It mm. was either dehydrate and die, mm-hmm. or drink this water and feel refreshed and maybe get sick after this if we yeah. had if we had not made it back to camp and we did we made it back to our camp at sunset wow and it was even <laughs> colder that night there was mm-hmm. there's no way mm-hmm. we would have been able to survive in the up canyon land mm-hmm. overnight wow there would have been no way to build a fire okay because the wind was so strong yeah and there's no blocks or whatever correct shields whatever yeah barriers i don't know right what i'm trying to say so yeah we we did make it back right at the <clears throat> right at the end there wow it was Ooh. yeah, it was wild. That was my that's the most legitimate and real survival experience I have ever had. Mm. And it I guess yeah, it's it set me up well for <laughs> being able to endure the naked and afraid. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. And so what was the, what was the the TV show like in comparison to that? It's a different animal. Yeah. And of course every location you go to mm-hmm. is a different animal. Okay, yeah, yeah. So... Warmer climate, for one thing. (laughs) Correct, yeah. One thing about Naked and Afraid is that you usually don't know where you're going Mm -hmm. until you get your airplane ticket to go Uh, there. That's cool. So, it's not cool. Oh, it's not cool. No, not cool at all. Oh, I was thinking, I'll be a surprise or whatever. You want to have as much time as possible to Mm. study and prep, you know, try to figure out what Uh, kind of animals are there, what kind of plants are there, what what you can use to make a shelter, anything. Yeah. I've tried my best to be as studious as possible Mm -hmm. beforehand. I bought survival books. I was Mm -hmm. reading through stuff. Yeah. I don't actually know how useful that was Mm. to do that, Mm -hmm. by the way. I think a lot of what you use out there is intuition mm. um, but it's always good to study it doesn't hurt yeah. anyway I had about four days before I ended up in the Exuma case mm. for my 21 day challenge to mm-hmm. scramble desperately <laughs> to figure out everything everything I could about the place okay and uh, then I was there okay they made me strip down naked grab a bag jump into the water and swim out to a life raft wow I had no idea uh-huh that that was going to happen. Okay. I had studied the maps. That was one thing I spent a lot of time on. I saw the mm. airport we were going into, uh, Great Exuma Island, and I looked all around and I was like, well, it's got to be on one of these smaller islands mm. nearby. So I studied the maps and the harbors on that island and I said, if we go south to this harbor, we'll definitely be on these little islands. And I studied every one of them. If we go north, if we go, there's either right or left. Okay. And so depending on which way the boat goes, I'll know where the islands are that we're going to. Mm-hmm. So we go to the North Harbor and we take a left. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> I know where we're going. I studied the shit out of these islands. Yeah, yeah I know the topography and everything. Uh-huh. And we just zoom, just zoom right past the islands. And I'm like, oh, my brain is trying to do uh-huh. the calculations. I'm like, there's nothing out here. Uh-huh. Where are we going? Yeah. I had no idea. It was a complete surprise. Oh, my God. And I saw the little bit of uh, 
orange tape, like the bright reflective tape that you see on on quotes on life rest mm-hmm. and I was like no way <laughs> what <laughs> shit uh-huh. uh, and that yeah that was the start of the adventure okay pretty wild yeah we were in the middle of nowhere it was like 12 miles mm. we had to paddle that sucker wow yeah and again benighted uh-huh. on a life raft sure in the middle of the ocean mm-hmm. with a naked stranger mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine at some point the awkwardness would subside, or does it? I, I'm not an awkward person. Yeah. I don't. I didn't think much of it mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that was never a problem. I had already done the naked and afraid thing with my dad. Yes. No less. Like, oh my god, you want to talk about awkward? Yes. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. No. Well, what was? I mean, just. Um, I, I think I remember hearing you say like you've talked about. You know, going through that a lot, so we don't have to get into it too much if, if you don't want to, if you talked it out. But just what what do you feel you gained from the experience? I think going back to what I had said about my dream, mm, yeah, I really did get a good foot in the door. Okay, I got the experience mm-hmm. of. And I'm sorry, I don't want to downplay or disrespect the the survival aspect of it. It's a very legitimate survival challenge. Okay. It was tough. It was arduous. Uh, But the reason I did it, Mm -hmm. or maybe the larger part of the reason I did it, because it's an adventure and I love adventures, Mm -hmm. was so that I could get my foot in the door Mm -hmm. into the the media Mm -hmm. industry. I think a lot of naked and afraid people feel that way. Okay. But they're sort of embarrassed to say it because they don't want to sound like they're seeking fame or mm. like looking to show off their naked bods or whatever but but really it is a TV show mm-hmm. and it was an important part of the whole thing for me mm. to explore that to try to show the best parts of myself and hopefully help to open the doors of opportunity into future media productions maybe to eventually have my own show Mm. that I could use much like Jacques Cousteau Mm -hmm. and Steve Irwin to explore the world and educate the public about insects yeah is that the trajectory you're on right now I'm working on it okay I'm working on it yeah one thing probably the most important survival thing that I took out of the Exuma case of my 21 day challenge Mm was that I really had to conquer the biting insects with my mind. Mm. There was no escape Mm -hmm. from those sand flies. It was awful. Awful. Uh And you have to conquer it with your mind. Oh, yeah. You have to. Just get used to it, right? Yeah, I don't know. Or just resign yourself to it or something? Or, like, it's going to happen. Yeah. Or not. I'm not sure how to explain it, but it's like... Do you ever, you ever read Dune? No. Well, in read or see, there's a... I've seen the movie. Yes. There's a scene in that movie where there's a box. Uh, yeah. And he puts his hands into the box, and to him it looks and feels like he's... That his hands are rotting away. Mm. Um but he's got to conquer it with his mind. Right. See how long you can stay in there to do that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the biting insects. Like okay. you're watching your body deteriorate mm-hmm. 
and you're watching your blood get all sucked out of your body by these nasty swarms of biting yeah. insects Jeez. and you've just got to conquer it with your mind you've got yeah. to be stronger than yeah. your body mm. mental fortitude is by far in a way the most important hmm. survival skill yeah I picked up on that just through movies and stuff um, uh, like you know once you give up the will to live you're basically saying you want to die right correct mm. well in naked and afraid it's easier because you can tap out yeah you can just leave mm. if it gets bad enough you're like all right i'm done i'm out <laughs> yeah but a good example of it is that uh, a lot of military people mm -hmm. get on naked and afraid and they've got a lot of skills mm -hmm. they're they're very well equipped to handle a situation like that but a lot of the time they'll tap out because they're not able to handle it mentally sure i think i think most tap outs are because of that loss of mental mm. fortitude mm -hmm. everybody's got a different reason for going into the challenge mm. um, but again just to reiterate it's not just your survival skills that make you capable of surviving a challenge like right. and afraid yeah. yeah i wonder if perhaps a marathon runner would say the same thing oh sure Sure. Well, I remember actually, yeah. Um, it, I guess it was boot camp um, and other other periods of, of physical training. Um, like one thing of motivation. What was it? Basically, what you're saying, though, mind over matter. Like your body gets tired, but until it just collapses from fatigue, you can keep going. Right. You just have to decide to. And. Um, I've discovered that, like in the last few weeks, I've been uh, getting back into running and stuff, and I'm not running as well as I did a few years and 50 pounds ago, but, um, <laughs> you know, after the first torture session, and it's like, oh yeah, okay, it's not too bad, and I can go a little further, and then just a little further, and a little faster, and get to a point where it's like, ah, oh, usually I give up, but then, like, something in my head is like, no, we'll keep going, and then a couple minutes later, the body responds, like, okay, here we go, let's just keep it, <laughs> keep it trucking, so... Yeah, I, I, I agree completely with you on the mind over matter thing. I think you're, you're absolutely correct. A lot of people look at a person's body. Mm. Like they look at you and say, he's not a runner. Or they'll look <laughs> at me and say, she needs to eat a cheeseburger. <laughs> um, I, I get judged constantly mm. by my body type. Hmm. I'm a very skinny small figure person mm -hmm. so it's like it's sort of like shocking sometimes to people to hear that I'm a survivalist that mm -hmm. that's something that I do and that uh -huh. I like to think I'm, I'm pretty good at yeah so going into the challenge I think nobody really expected me to make it okay they didn't think my body could do it uh-huh especially on Excel mm. I did the 21 day challenge in the Exuma case and I was clearly well equipped for that Mm -hmm. I've been working as a dive master. Mm -hmm. I had been uh, an ocean person for a while. I knew all about boats. I, I was an experienced water person, and my billing in the show was dive master. Mm. I was in the ocean. My survival item was a dive mask. Oh, nice. So I was in my element there. Mm -hmm. But when they cast me on Naked and Afraid XL, mm -hmm. All Stars, season four, just mm -hmm. finished a few months ago. Mm. The airing, not the challenge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Nobody thought that I would make it. Oh, wow. Even the people who'd seen my 21-day challenge. Uh -huh. I was in my element. I was in the ocean. Yeah. How, how the hell is this little skinny girl from Hawaii mm -hmm. going to survive 40 days mm -hmm. 
in South Africa. Mm. If there was a betting list, actually, I did find a betting list yeah. online. Yeah. There was somebody that had had placed bets on who would be the first one to tap out, and nice. by four, I was expected to be the very first one to tap out. Lost a lot of people, a lot of money. I guess so. Good yeah. job. Hey, anybody that bet on me would, uh, yeah. would be very pleased. I mm. think so. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, my body, mm. my body really struggled. Mm. I almost starved to death. I lost 20% of my body weight wow. in Africa. Oh my God. And I started at 110 pounds. Yeah. So I, at my mm. worst, I think I got to like 90 pounds. Mm. Um, skin and bones. Yeah. But again, mind, mind over matter. matter. Yep. The thing I kept telling myself out there was that my body will recover sure a body is a malleable thing mm -hmm. it can bend and fluctuate and change and grow and get better and worse and all the things mm -hmm. but i was like i i can never change the way that i feel mm. about this challenge mm -hmm. this will always be a part of my personal history yeah and a part of national television history <laughs> yeah. whatever it is that you do on this show mm assuming it ends up in the edit, sticks with you forever. Mm. That's terrifying. Mm. Really terrifying. <laughs> That's actually the scariest thing about Naked and Afraid, I think. Yeah. Which is the realization that, first of all, whatever you do is going to be a part of your life forever. Mm -hmm. Ensconced on the screen for all to see. Yeah. But also that you are not in charge of what they end up editing mm, the show to be. Right. So, so it could be great, high spirits, whole time, and then one day you're just like complete asshole, and that's what they emphasize. Correct. Yeah. That did happen to me once in one episode on Excel. Mm. I had had a really bad day, and I said some stupid shit mm. that ended up in the episode, and my fellow cast members got really, really upset. Wow. at me and sent me hateful messages and stuff and I got that was the first time ever I had any haters huh. people messaging me saying I was a terrible person hmm. and stuff like that uh, it's something a lot of naked and afraid people are used to and yeah. I'm sure it's something that reality television people are used to generally yeah. uh, but but yeah that hmm. is an important thing to know yeah you film a lot of stuff out there and there's only a small amount of it that ends up in the edit mm -hmm. yeah it's like what our show Yep, it's a 46-minute show from mm. the 21-day challenge. Okay. And I think Excel was 10 episodes. Mm. I think it was 10 episodes. So they got to take 24 hours and condense it down to one episode. Or maybe 40 hours. 40 days. Yeah, okay, yeah, over, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> hey, c huge kudos to the to the editors mm. of Naked and Afraid and to the producers out there. Mm. They're... I don't want to say writing the story. This is not a scripted thing. There's no mm. script. There's Nobody ever tells you what to do or what to say. No manipulated circumstances? There's no manipulation. Mm. Um, contrary to a lot of people's personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a little bit of production that happens surrounding the entry and exit from where you're going. Sure. Um, they need to figure that out so that they can arrange transportation and do logistics. Like, come yeah. on. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but while you're doing the challenge, there's no... 
manipulation. Okay. There's interaction. They do bring people aside for what they call OTF interviews, on the fly interviews. Mm. Okay. Where after some event that has happened or after whatever, or if you're in a mood or whatever it is, mm-hmm. occasionally the producer will bring you apart from whoever else is there, mm-hmm. away from the other cast members, and sit down and have a little interview with you. Mm-hmm. And you see that on the show. That's when people are talking to the camera and there's no one else around. Right, right. That, I think, is what make, makes people think that it's scripted. Sure. And in a way, I guess, depending on the questions that the producer asks, mm-hmm. they can kind of get the bites they want yeah. from you. Mm-hmm. But come on, I'm not going to fault them for that. They've got to produce a whole story out of this thing. Yeah. The producers out there are watching what's happening and in their mind are writing how they want to edit the production together. Mm. Without the producers without some semblance of an idea of the storyline that's been occurring Mm -hmm. they'd be in the editing process for years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here take all this footage and make something out of it it's not that easy (laughs) yeah so the yeah the producers are doing a hell of a job out there and the camera people too i mean holy shit those guys are out there in the same climates that we are Mm -hmm. they're not naked they've got bug spray they've got warmth they've got an umbrella for the sun like they've got what they need they've yeah. got a fucking whole tent distant enough from us that it's not a temptation but sure. like they get to go have lunch mm-hmm. they get to go back at the end of the day during the nighttime while we're huddled around a fire in the freezing <laughs> cold they go back to like a you know a resort or at least a camp yeah you know mm-hmm. um but they're out there with us mm-hmm. they're doing the stuff they're getting bitten by bugs yeah they're getting exposed to the sun they're having a hard time too and their cameras are huge yeah those guys are beasts <laughs> to carry all that shit around hmm. I'm interested in production I enjoyed being a part of the production oh, okay I liked doing the survival stuff mm-hmm. I liked doing the adventure but I also enjoyed just being a part of the climate of production mm-hmm. I didn't get to I'm sorry question? no 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 no. keep going sorry I just thought it was oh funny. I forgot it as well oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned mentioned that, um, and and wanting to do your own show. Have you considered like doing, um, you know, YouTube channel kind of thing? And... I have considered that. I have. Um, I was playing around with the name. I get really held up on names. Ah. Like names are crucially important to me. Like any time I play a role playing game, uh-huh. or like World of Warcraft, or. Uh, Skyrim or where you gotta do your character creation the character creation phase takes me forever (laughs) like just coming up with a name if Uh it's not perfect Uh I cannot invest in that in that Mm. character like it's a weird thing in my brain (laughs) okay but I've been trying to find the right name and the right Mm style and like to get a good idea to form the character of of what I want to do before I start in and, and do it and I know that's not the right way to go well, yeah, I mean, you're not going to start off, like, you know, full speed, full production value, everything firing all cylinders. Right. So, you know, not not to uh, necessarily completely discount that part of the process, because it is important. No, I mean, it's, please, it's, you it's, have experience with this. I'm interested in your Well, that's, that's what I've been finding, like, the hard way, is um, if you, if you want to start something, you just got to start. And just come up with a placeholder name. And the thing you start with is not what you're going to finish with, most likely. Um, it's going to run its course, and then you're going to take a break from it, um, reflect on it, what worked, what didn't work, and then when you're ready, start again. And come up with, uh, 
either continue it or come up with something brand new and just just keep going with it like I was thinking like a good a good place to start is just a daily vlog kind of thing or then you have to be daily but I'm like I mean living on a boat some of the time that's pretty interesting and your Facebook posts uh, your Instagram posts especially when you do the live stuff and you're just like hey, on a boat and you say hey to everyone you know that's that's pretty cool um, that is the one thing that I really tried to buckle into hmm. uh, was the Instagram stories sure I tried just 15 second clips mm -hmm. anytime I was doing something fun mm -hmm. and interesting mm -hmm. hey we're out sailing today got a whole group of really cool people mm -hmm. I got good at doing the little 15 second clips yeah um, but I got a little derailed one time when I think I was kind of drunk uh, and I made an Instagram story that I really regretted oh. and I managed to take it down before too many people saw it mm -hmm. but even still like it kind of shook me a little bit oh, yeah. and I haven't really been doing the story so much since then mm. and I know I should but I I miss it like I think mm -hmm. I don't live in a perfect world but if I did I would have a cameraman. Oh, uh, yeah. I am an adventurer. Mm -hmm. I'm an, a doer. Mm -hmm. I have a really hard time remembering to break out my camera. Mm. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I guess I've gotten good at cinematography. Mm -hmm. One of the cool things about Naked and Afraid, one of my favorite things actually mm -hmm. was the diary camera. Oh. Every one of the survivalists has a camera. Oh, okay. And it's not a fancy camera, it's just a little yeah. handheld thing, but I loved having it. Mm -hmm. I would set up my own shots of myself doing my interviews. You know, you can flip the screen around and yeah. I'm like, oh, nice backdrop back there. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you know. Get a little paint like this, you know. Uh, oh, yes. Um, but I also filmed whatever I found interesting in the environment. Mm -hmm. I filmed so many insects. Uh, Not one of them ended up in the episode, but mm -hmm. I was gaining the personal experience of, of cinematography and yeah. doing, doing that production. So I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. I like using a camera. Mm -hmm. But I have a really hard time finding the balance between doing an adventurous activity that's super duper fun mm -hmm. and taking time away from that thing to film the thing. Mm -hmm. It actually kind of defeats the footage in a way hmm. because I can't be completely natural doing the thing that I'm doing and also be trying to film that totally natural thing that I'm doing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean... I would say it just takes some getting used to, like just adapting to it, and just do practice stuff, you know. Not everything you, you tape has to end up in the final cut or whatever. You know? I guess that goes back to one of the first things I said mm -hmm. about the process for getting on reality television, which was B-roll footage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, maybe take a bit of my own advice there. <laughs> and yours, of course. Mm. You know, as an experienced filmmaker, it's really great to hear your... Mm -hmm your take on the whole thing oh, still trying to get more experience trying to get recognized I guess <laughs> more like it I don't know but uh, yeah um, yeah because I am in the midst of also trying to you know not just with RTL thing it's about to run out you know for promotional purposes primarily um, promoting it talking about the process but then also a second channel for my production company face on media um, which I'm not sure exactly what all that would entail, but also kind of promoting my services as a freelance videographer and then personal channel, just talking about personal stuff. 
That's a lot of projects all at once. It's a ton of projects. It's, I feel like it's too many projects um, because I've got those three things in addition to trying to finish RTL. Um, and, and, and on top of that, then, you know, marketing and getting out to festivals and stuff. Um, in addition to going to school, um, in addition to kids, trying, yeah, yeah, in addition to, to raising my son and being a good husband, uh, as well as uh, trying to figure out a way to make extra money, and especially once this semester is over, because it's most likely, unless there's some bizarre scenario that I can, I can, I can work out. Uh, it's my last full-time semester, so it's my last time getting the full GI Bill um, benefit. So yeah, um, but what I've learned, what I'm learning, I guess I should say, because I never finish learning, is uh, focus on one thing and get it done. But then sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean you, fo- you only work on one thing focus on one thing at a time. So it's all about um, time management and figuring that out, like, okay, I'm gonna work on this project this amount of time. And usually, like, I can work on something for a few hours before I just start hitting hitting the wall. Right. Um, and then take a break and either work on something else. Well, first take a break and just decompress, however long that takes. And then work on something else. So, like, for instance, this past week I've been working on getting the visual effects done, and so it would take a, a few hours to get just one freaking shot, like, three, five-second clip done. And then once once it's done, once it looks good, then at just right at the time, my son walks in, is like, Daddy! I'm like, Story! And I just grab him, and we just go play for a little bit. And, uh, then so that so then I'm getting my my you know son time and then uh, shortly after that wife gets home so I'm like, okay wife time and then dinner time and then after that book time and then bedtime yeah so uh, like I like I I put myself under the pressure of trying to get everything done at once and trying to do as much as possible and if I'm not doing something then I'm doing something wrong but just gotta allow yourself the time to not do anything, allow yourself the time to plan, to prepare, and set up a schedule, and then be flexible with that schedule. Like, you try to try to stick to it, but, you know, shit happens. Something's gonna come up that you didn't uh, account for, and you just roll with it. And then, like, it's, it's really easy to get all hyped up. It's like, oh my god, it didn't get done! But then you just think through, it's like, what's the worst that can happen if this doesn't get done? Sun's gonna come up tomorrow. Uh... You know, whatever. All the important people in my life will still love me. Uh, I still have air in my lungs, gas in my car. You know, little little scratch in the, in the checking account for groceries, that kind of thing. Beer in your bottle, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's all it's all about you know perspective. And one thing that's helped me is uh, meditation. Um, using a little Headspace app um, and just taking like starts off five minutes a day. They can go up to 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and it's just this like really calm, cool British dude saying, now take a breath, breathe in, breathe out. Now think about where the points of your body are touching the chair. (laughs) Now focus on breathing. Now be aware of your environment. Now let's come back to the body. (laughs) And it's just really, it's really groovy. It's really cool. And it just, you know, afterwards, I just feel refreshed. I have a problem that has haunted me for my whole life. Hmm. Uh, 
I guess the first instance I experienced of it was as a kid mm. playing a video game. Okay. Like Zelda, mm. Ocarina of Time. Ah, yes. Oh, you know, one, oh, of, the, yeah. one of the best video games Classic. ever that there ever was. Absolutely. But I must have played through that game three or four times incompletely before I actually did the thing. Mm. So I would play the game and get really into it and get to the water temple or oh, get God. to the shadow temple or get uh -huh. like get a good amount into it but then something would come up in my life oh, sure. I wouldn't play it for many months mm -hmm. and then when I went back to play it mm -hmm. I couldn't just keep going from where I left off mm. I had to restart the whole thing mm. and that wasn't just Ocarina of Time that was any game like any uh -huh. game I put down and didn't play for a long time uh -huh. it didn't feel right to me mm. to just pick up where I left off I mean first of all you kind of lose your skills like yeah. in order to get that far into a game you have to have gotten pretty good at it mm -hmm. to be able to continue to use all the controls and the techniques and things that you've been learning the whole entire time mm -hmm. so it might actually be impossible for you to continue from the point that you've mm -hmm. that you were at before because mm -hmm. you've lost all those skills yeah it applies the same to so many projects that I have started Mm -hmm. I struggle terribly with finishing them mm -hmm. after I've put them down for too long. Really good at starting things, not so good at finishing things. If I can bust through yeah. and get it all done while uh -huh. I'm on a roll, boy, yeah. it's some top quality work. No doubt. It's fantastic. Yeah. But if I put it down mm -hmm. for too long, I almost never pick it back up. Again. I'm with you. High five. Yep. Yep. I know exactly what you mean. What I've learned through just years of that because <laughs> you're how old? I'm 28. 28? 38. So in those extra 10 years it's just come through many frustrations and disappointments and discouragements. When you do come back to it don't expect to just well like the running thing like I told you uh, before like a couple years ago I could like you know hoof it. I could I had like great oh you want more? Beer. Yes please. I will have one too. Um, I had a great running time, great endurance. Um, not like marathon runner or anything, but how do you open this? Is it locked? Oh, that's a fancy cooler. That's my uh, PBR cooler that I won for doing the Irish 500 mini tricycle race. Oh, oh yeah. At the Irish Rose. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a silly annual event that the Irish Rose does, mm -hmm. and uh, teams teams get together. And I think it's a charity. I forget what it was donated for this year, but they do it every year. They've got a whole troop of tiny tricycles that, mm -hmm. like, big drunk people try to <laughs> try to ride. The girls are way better at it than uh, the boys. So, but yeah, but it's fun. It was a good time. So yeah, no, I was psyched. That was the third place prize. That's awesome. And when we walked in and we saw the prizes and stuff, I was like, boy. I hope we get third place. <laughs> That'd be perfect for my boat. <laughs> so yeah, yeah came true. Cheers. Cheers. Um, yeah, so when I started running again a few weeks ago, actually over the summer I had many attempts of trying to run again, but then I would get discouraged because like, I can't do this. But then I just realized like, okay, I'm not in the same physical condition I was a couple years ago when I could really do it. So I just had to allow myself that grace, that compassion, like, Okay, so we can't do, we can't we can't do the speed. Let's start a little slow, and then let's gradually speed up. The next day, I was like, not back on pace, but you know, closer to back on pace. And so, 
in any project, like uh, with uh, the newest Zelda game, Breath of the Wild. I had the same concern, because this is the first major video game I've wanted to embark upon with a family. And so I've got to, like, stay up late or just find, you know, little pockets of time where I could, you know, devote to well, it. Well, see, the, that one... That one I think is a little easier because it's open world, yeah, and it's quest based. Mm. Whereas Ocarina of Time was very linear, mm -hmm. but you can still take time to like kind of futz around and you know get the hang of things. But it again. would be way easier, I think, to pick up on that game after a period of not playing it, mm. rather than having to start thing, the whole thing new. Are you talking about Breath of the Wild? Breath of the Wild. Yeah, that's the open world Zelda game, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking I, about I played it. I haven't played it. Oh, it's amazing. It looked pretty cool. It's so great. I you know that. what I don't like about it, though, is it's not a customizable character. <laughs> I love I love character customization. It's At least let me put some different clothes on. Oh, wait, it oh, does have different can. clothes, right? Oh, you can custom Actually, you can customize the crap out of it. Shit, I would lose myself. Once I gotta watch it. out for that stuff, because I'll get too into it. <laughs> I don't live on a... I've got my boat, okay? Yeah. I've got a boat and a Jeep oh. and dreams. <laughs> Please, no, 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 no more Zelda. That should be a T-shirt. I've got a boat, a jeep, and dreams. Aww, I love that. That's sweet, actually. <laughs> That's that. That should be your vlog: a boat, a jeep, and some dreams. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. But main point is, once you start something, and whatever it is that takes you away for a while, when you do eventually come back to it, just be like, okay, where did I, where, where did I leave off? Okay, there's where I left off. Am I in that same space right now? Especially if it's a creative thing. If yeah. It's, if it's a creative thing and you're not in that same space and it's just the, the cylinders whoop, just aren't aren't firing, then <laughs> you look at it and um, figure out another way you can start off on it again. Like with, uh, uh, I don't know, like writing a story. Uh, you take your characters along a certain path, then you gotta leave them for a while, you come back, you're like, I'm not really feeling this. Uh, let's do something else. And then just like start in another subplot or something. I want to say I really appreciate your production updates oh, from thanks. RTL. There were a lot of people that were, that are, mm. and continue to be really excited about that project. That's Obviously, good. as a person who was just barely on screen for it, but I'm not like particularly invested like it's not a part of my career. I was just excited for body painting that day <laughs> But there's tons of people who were that are really invested in it like mm. they're down. They're really excited. So mm -hmm. uh, The fact that you're doing the production updates mm. lets people know that it's still worth their investment mm. and It's well, really good. really awesome to see Even though it's I mean I actually watched the thing I, I watched the the ref cut. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, I loved it. <laughs> yeah, no, but the updates are great. Hmm. And it shows that you care. And it shows that the work is coming through and that hmm. it's like people are still going to continue moving forward. Hmm. I did another production out here hmm. before RTL called Fuck You Island. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. And I have seen nothing. Hmm. I have seen no updates. Oh. At all. Oh. I've seen clips of it. From the director. I haven't seen a damn thing. Oh, jeez. So, by contrast, I'd say you're doing a much better job. Well, thank you. Um, I, I mean, I, I just believe all so many people gave up so much of their time on any given day during those five days. The least I can do is be like, hey, it's still going. And the least I can do is finish it. And yes, absolutely. Since, since it is taking, uh, as, I mean, 
major productions take like two years of post-production. We're lucky to get it done by the end of, well, in a couple weeks. I mean, the point. rough cut was pretty pretty damn on point as it was. Thanks. Thank you. Um, yeah, at least I can do is keep everyone updated to let them know that what they invested all their time and resources into, excuse me, especially for no pay, um, is still happening. In fact, you want to see, like, I don't have any video, but the one of the visual effects shots. Oh, I saw it. I was telling... I think I saw it. No, I haven't shared this with anyone. Ooh. Uh, actually, I shared it with, with just uh, Jeff, Jeff Jewett. Oh, he wasn't on set. Do you know him, though, anyway? I don't know. Okay, he wasn't on set that day. I'm not but. really very heavily involved with the, the filmmaking scene around here. I just occasionally I'll get some, but I, like I hear through the grapevine or I see something. Mm -hmm. I'm not out seeking fame. I'm not oh, trying yeah. to get famous. With yours, mm. I saw body painting. I was like, yeah! <laughs> Fuck yeah! Rock I've on. always wanted to do body painting. Let's go <laughs> do that. Like, I would yeah. not have cared if I didn't end up on screen. Like, for Fuck You Island, mm. I didn't, I wasn't even on screen. Mm. I ended up actually just going up when they were doing the filming that weekend mm -hmm. and taking care of the camp. Oh. I was building the fire, collecting uh -huh. the firewood. There were a couple kids running around. I was yeah. like, kind of keeping them entertained. Uh, yeah. I know I had like a pirate outfit on and everything and I participated mm -hmm. in a couple scenes but mm -hmm. like I actually kind of stood back I was like I don't really feel like <laughs> my character I've created in my head would even be in this scene uh. so like I, yeah I was like I don't know uh. well do you remember the, the scene where uh, the dude JB sh um, shoots a good dude with his bazooka yes there were no effects on at that point so this is a still from from the finished effect shot yeah buddy <laughs> he's shooting his big Cool. energy bazooka thing neat so I'm, I'm excited that took like a whole day to I was following a tutorial because um, I'm still learning visual effects but yeah so yeah that's the progress progress um, that's fantastic so yeah I love I love being able to tease out stuff I don't want to spoil it you know but you know show people like this is the vision and it's being realized so hang tight we're almost there it's awesome Thanks. And it's really refreshing and meaningful and important to see the progress updates as they come out. Oh, right on. Yeah. And the emails, you know? Mm. All of it. Usually a, a group email is kind of like, ah, but yours is always like, I mean, it's sort of inspiring to well, me. Yeah? Yeah. As a person who struggles terribly to finish projects, oh. <laughs> watching you and seeing that you're still working on it, like, mm. that shit is so far in my past at this point. That was just one fun <laughs> day that I had. Yeah. But... To see the work and dedication that you're putting into it makes me feel like I was truly a part of something mm. big and cool and amazing and meaningful. Absolutely you were. And yeah. and the fact that you're doing it, that you're working your butt off on top of juggling 17,000 <laughs> other projects yeah. uh, inspires me. It makes me feel like, shit, maybe 10 years from now, mm. I might have my shit together. Mm. A little. A little. Huh? A little more. A little more. It, it never comes all the way together. I don't think. Gosh. Um, but I mean, it hasn't, you know, I mean, so that was that was March when we finished shooting, and then I busted ass for like two, three weeks to get the rough cut done. Um, Caleb, our sound guy, did the same with the sound, and then no color grading, whatever, so we just, you know, got it in time for the, the awards, the student film awards. And um, then after that, uh, had a potential investor express interest, and then after a couple meetings, just flaked, totally flaked and ghosted, and that was May? Yeah, that would have been, that would have been getting into May, and then I just, just, my morale, motivation just went, yeah, and so there were a couple weeks where I didn't do anything on it, 
I just was like, and I needed that, you know, because from like February for pre-production up through shooting at the end of March and then, the, you know, the, the rough edit and stuff, you know, it was pretty constant. So the beginning of the summer, yeah, I just needed some time just to be like, okay, I need to do whatever, I need to decompress, reassess, whatever. And then eventually, oh, and yeah, I mean, you can't do everything by yourself. You know, you need, at some point, you need more people, or at least one or two people in your corner. So, a uh, guy um, did the color for us, the color correcting. Yeah, I saw that. the first part. And then he also did some, a couple of the first bit of visual effects. And um, then once I saw it, and then, I don't know, other things in life starting to well up, and I started feeling more hopeful again, got my mojo back, and um, was like, all right, let's do this. And then, so that's what you're seeing now, I guess, is like my second wind and the fruits of that. So, so yeah, whenever you're tackling any kind of project, it, it can't all just be in one go, you know, like one burst. It's got to be a series of bursts, I guess. Right, yeah. right. Not a sprint, but a marathon. Ooh, full circle! Hey! <laughs> High five! Love when that happens! <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, uh, let's see. Okay, yeah, we're doing good. Uh, my parking ticket's up at 345, so. Uh, it's not a huge deal. Okay. Yeah, I never actually pay for parking here. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's no diamond parking people yeah, have yeah, listening to the podcast. So, how'd you wind up uh, in Hawaii? I have been coming and going from Hawaii for about 15 years. Okay. More like 13. I don't know. Hmm. Past 10 years, it all feels the same, I guess. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I've got Hanai family. Oh, cool. Hanai is like... Adopted. Family that's not blood. Right. Yeah. And um, my Hanai auntie is from Hawaii, hmm. and she's had property here. And so oh, nice. since I was about 15... Mm-hmm. I was like, I want to be a scuba diver. I love the ocean. I've always loved the ocean. I grew up in Colorado. I grew up in the mountains. <laughs> yes. In the snow and the trees. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know how exactly it happened, but mm -hmm. I've always loved the ocean. I collected fish as a kid, like fish figurines. Like, my, mm -hmm. my room had fish all over it, all the paintings and everything. I used to draw and paint fish. Okay. And so when I turned 15, I was like, I can be a scuba diver. I can be a scuba diver. I can be a scuba diver. I'm going to do scuba diving. All right. So I got the chance to come out to Hawaii and get my scuba certification. And that was like, oh, man, this is a, this is it. This uh -huh. is the best thing. Everybody should should at least try it. Like, I understand that everybody has a different different interests, different cutie marks, mm -hmm. if you will. <laughs> but like scuba diving was like a big one for me. So nice. I kept coming and going from Hawaii on little trips, getting further and further scuba certifications mm -hmm. and became a dive master mm -hmm. in 2010. Okay. And then went and did college and all of the everything. Uh -huh. And then I got a job in Colorado at an aquarium shop. Mm. And I was working in a saltwater tank one day and I was like, wait a second. I am a dive master. I should just move to the ocean. Just move to Hawaii. <laughs> like, why am I messing around in a tank when I could be in the actual ocean? Yeah. So I, I was very lucky to have had my Hanai auntie who gave me a place to stay for a little while till I kind of found my footing. Uh -huh. And now here I am. And this is my home. Like Colorado, yeah, it's uh, my my childhood home. But mm -hmm. the feeling of home yeah. is here. Right. 
This is my home. I have a great community of people surrounding here. I have mm. friends. Mm -hmm. I've got uh, really like, oh my gosh, so many different bubbles that I've engaged in. Yeah. The harbor. I can't go anywhere on this harbor without having to stop and talk to someone for at least five minutes. That's cool. Um, hey, Sarah, how's it going? Oh, hey. Uh, I've worked on the all three different dive boats here. Oh, cool. I worked on the pirate ship for about six months. Uh -huh. um, this is this is my home, you know. Nice. I've got Anne O'Brien's, the local Irish pub, mm -hmm. and I'm a regular there. I, <laughs> I spend my time. I've got those kind of friends. Mm -hmm. uh, Honolulu Beer Works. I've got some friends over there as well. Uh -huh. Um, scuba people, sailing people. Mm. I've been able to use this boat to actually create my own community nice. of people. That's all right. Uh, which is just fantastic. Yeah. I'm loving Hawaii. Mm. I've never once felt island fever. Yeah. But I've also gone on a lot of adventures. Yeah. Since I've been here. Mm -hmm. I mean, my life is a constant adventure. Yeah. I'm starting to feel however mm -hmm. and maybe this was how I began the conversation that while adventures are fantastic and super duper great and mm -hmm. I love them so very very much yes uh, I do kind of need to focus mm -hmm. <clears throat> like it would be awesome if I could create a pilot of this totally amazing TV show that I have in my brain that's fantastic and would mm. be the best thing that ever was. Mm. If I could find the energy and the time and the motivation to do that, that would be great. Yeah. Currently, at this stage in my quarter-life crisis, everything is a mess. Mm. I need to clean it up and organize it mm -hmm. and create a solid base from which to work before I can actually start producing stuff. Yeah. I think it's start making preparations, though. It would be like trying to build a house before raising the ground underneath. Like, okay. before... Yeah. You gotta build a base. You gotta have a foundation. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. It's okay. been about four years of me establishing a base. Right. Which means a lot of different things. My my social support, my emotional support, my mm -hmm. literal living conditions. Mm -hmm. This boat is great and I can live on it, but it does not have everything that I need in order to be able to achieve my dreams and do the stuff that I want to do. Okay. So I've been struggling for years with my living spaces. Mm. I lost my apartment that I was in after giving it to my girlfriend who wanted to move here and get her life together. Mm. So I sort of sacrificed a bit of my own comfort and stability so that I could help a friend. Mm -hmm. Then the apartment is no more, so she had to go back to Colorado. And I didn't have all that stuff. Now blah, 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 blah. Like a lot of, it's a mess. Mm. And I can't focus very well on moving forward with my dreams until my current situation is a little more manageable, mm. I guess is a way to say it. Okay. My boat is in disrepair. Hmm. My engine doesn't start right now. Oh. It's actually a pretty simple fix. Yeah. I just need new glow plug and a starter. I think I need it. I'm gonna do it. Mind over matter. Mind over feelings. Just do it. Decisions over feelings, yeah. Like yeah. Colin Kaepernick. Absolutely, yes. I'll drink to that. <laughs> yes. That dude's my hero. Yeah. Well, that's a whole silly thing that's happening right now. Yeah, it's, it's retarded. Um, must be insensitive <clears throat> or un-PC, but uh, yeah, it's super dumb. Um, well. That's the second time I've heard of that happening. What? Previous uh, people destroying their merchandise. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. There was another one. Yeti. Ridiculous. Yeti coolers. That's right. 
the Yeti coolers are fucking amazing. Yeah. They're great. I uh -huh. would love to have a Yeti cooler uh -huh. on my boat. I'm totally down with my PBR. Sure. Indy okay. 500. They can use a friend. Thing, but yeah, but no, Yeti coolers are super fancy, and mm. people were spending like you know 500 bucks on a cooler and then uh -huh. getting mad because of something to do with the NRA or something. That's right. They pull funding from the or their support from the NRA. Yeah. Yeah, people are like blowing up their coolers. The like, the Yeti people okay. are like, you already bought it. Exactly. Man. Yeah. Yeah. It's really... Same with the Nike stuff. Like, come mm. on. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's genius, actually. Like, mm. surely the marketing people knew full well mm. that it was going to create a controversy. Absolutely. Controversy sells. Yeah. I mean, it got, what's his name in the White House? It's the <laughs> controversial and shitty people that get cast on reality TV shows. Yeah. Hey, man, the shittier mm. you are, the more likely you're going to get cast. If what yep. you're after is getting cast in some shit, be as shitty as possible. Yeah. That's not the case for Naked and Afraid, yeah. necessarily. Right. But it, it, it does just tend to be a... A thing, you know, the more more outrageous you are, mm -hmm. people get so upset. They get so offended. The outrage about culture. Things. Yeah, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, why do you care so much? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's easy to say it's uh, social media. I think that plays into it because a, even though it's a degree of socialization, it's not socialization because you're not looking a person in the face. And expressing your feelings or hearing what their ideas are that they're trying to communicate. Instead, it's just words on a screen, sometimes with little fancy pictures or whatever. But, um, yeah, because of that, you can just instantly respond. But there's no context either. Or even if there is context, there's no body language or vocal intonation or anything like that. You know, simple, regular, interpersonal communication cues that could indicate nuance in what's trying to be said. Instead, True. you've got all your shit that's interpreting what they're saying, and so it's also easy to assume the worst of what they're saying. Right. And if it's something that they dis... If it's something... If they're... If, if the person you're reading puts up an idea that you don't necessarily agree with, since you're just reading it, you could be, like, a, not in a, in a good place to receive that information, like, you know, middle of the night, taking a dump, and, you know, reading this, and you're tired, and then... For some reason, it just triggers, like, the worst response. Yeah, like, dude, if you're taking a dump in the middle of the night, it's probably some kind of a gastrointestinal problem, and you're <laughs> not a happy camper. Yeah, yeah. And just without the context of face-to-face -face conversation, people then get super upset, outraged, and because they can do something about it, reply to it, uh, they do. And that carries over into real life. Joe Rogan had a good joke hmm. about... Uh, YouTube's. He said, you know, some of the dumbest people in the world are the people who comment on YouTube videos. Yeah. They get upset and they're like, I'm seeing something and uh, yeah, ah, uh. They're like all annoyed about it. And he said, but there's someone even dumber mm. than those people. <laughs> he pointed at himself. He said, me, because I read them and get upset about it. Oh, uh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm reading them. Like, uh -huh. it's, yeah, just a silly, all of it is so silly. People, people are invested in this fictional world mm -hmm. that has a, a semblance of reality like it's yeah. a, it sometimes addresses real issues and feelings but it's people are too connected to it yeah. one of the things I took away from Naked and Afraid mm. I am way better at not giving a fuck <laughs> way better at yeah. it because mm. I've been through some shit like mm -hmm. people who've been through the worst shit yeah. are the best most tolerant people mm -hmm. 
It's the snowflakey people who've never been burned or melted that melted because snowflake, right? Right. Yeah. Well done. Right? <laughs> um, who who get us super offended about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, fucking, I don't think war veterans are getting particularly super offended. And they're probably the one group that should be getting completely very offended. Yeah. They're getting shat on constantly. Mm-hmm. But they're like, dude, I've got other shit to worry about, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't fucking care. I'm yeah. having a beer with my wife. Like, chill. Like, I don't fucking care. Yeah. And then everybody else is offended for them. Yeah. There are some, there are some service members who, who do see it as they, you know, as, you know, the wrong way. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, of course, it's a spectrum. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. No, no, just a, just a point. (laughs) Of course, it's not, there's never an always or a, there's never an always or a never. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Never say never. Yes. Yeah, of course. Everything exists on a bell curve. Not true. A lot of things can exist, exist on other kinds of curves. But bell but, curve is a thing. Yes. I yes. would say that... Well, shit. I guess I'm trying to make further the point about people with a more broad and diverse life experience. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I was going to get around to. Is like, you know, the, those military members who have been through shit and have perspective are the ones who are like, he's not disrespecting the flag. Or there's bigger to fry right now. Right. I think you're going to find a greater proportion of Navy guys who served four years <laughs> feeling offended versus, uh, you know, Marine colonels mm. feeling offended. Like, mm. I, I don't know. Yeah. This is a weird point and it sounds like it could possibly be offensive. I'm not sure. Um, yeah. well, I've I got mean, great respect for military people. I've got, you know what? I have great respect for anybody that does a job. Mm. Whatever job it is. Mm-hmm. Thanks for doing that job. Yeah. There is a reason that it is a job. Mm-hmm. People who do their job are doing a good job. Like, thank you for, for that. Mm-hmm. For whatever it is. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. To the servers that serve me at, at wherever I am. Thank mm-hmm. you to them. To the Navy guys that are running the big battleships and, and carriers and mm-hmm. airplanes. I love the Navy, by the way. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't know. If I was <laughs> going to join a branch, I'd probably join the Navy. Uh, okay. Um, Air Force. My brother's in the Air Force. Oh, no kidding. And they get teased relentlessly. Chair Force. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and he is an RPA pilot. Ooh. So he gets teased even more relentlessly. Yeah. Which is really shitty and super sad because... Uh, <sighs> it's still an important thing. And it's crucially important. It's, it's modern warfare. It's, uh, it's you know, the biggest, most important thing, I think, that's it's still technologically... In, it still involves the taking of lives. In some situations. Yeah, my brother's kind of having a hard time with that. Yeah. I, I don't really want to get into sure, it. Sure, 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 sure. But, yeah, it's tough. Mm-hmm. People feel disrespected for the jobs that they do. Mm-hmm. Servers feel like people don't understand, like, what are you going to get your own food? Like, I'm doing a job, and it's an important thing, and you're disrespecting me. It's the military guys feeling the same way mm-hmm. about people not respecting or caring about their job. Right. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. I, I'm not, I don't know where to place myself on that spectrum. I've been a pirate. <laughs> I literally worked as a pirate. That was my most recent job, the pirate ship right over there. Oh, cool. I worked on that for like six months, which was kind of yeah. fun. It was like acting. Yeah. I was a pirate all on the high seas. <laughs> oh, they're Macy's are ready for an adventure. Like, it was great. It was fun. Uh-huh. Um, is that a respectable job? I don't know. Yeah, it's a job. It's a job. Facilitating a good time for a bunch of people. 
I did enjoy that and I have enjoyed that and it's similar in a way to the kinds of things that I've been doing working as a dive master is similar mm -hmm. as well mm -hmm. um, plus the lifeguarding aspect of it I mean yeah. literally protecting people's lives mm -hmm. but also being a naturalist you know whatever I'm losing <laughs> my brain thought try, right. train here that's okay but um, yeah I'm unemployed now oh okay so that's fun yeah I remember those days technically yeah. I, I Technically self-employed, but not regularly. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, like I said, getting the money from the GI Bill, so that's sustaining. School, school counts as a job. I reckon. Yeah. It took me a minute to kind of get back in the frame of mind because I was pretty much mentally done last semester. Because my last semester of the film classes, <clears throat> and that's all I really wanted to go to school for. But in order to get full-time status last semester. I needed to register for a minor, an English minor, so I could take that fourth three-hour class. So, thought I was done, just gonna try to get a job over the summer. Didn't happen. Thankfully, uh, my wife's parents were kind enough to let us move into their place over the summer while they were with another family member looking after them uh, during some medical treatment, but they just recently moved back in, so it's kind of a full house. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I decided we need, we still need to bring in as much income as we can. I still have credits I can earn, so back to school I go. And at uh, first I was like, oh shit, I really don't want to do this. I want to work on Return to Life, I want to work on my video stuff, I want to work on this stuff. But we also need money, so. Ah. Yes, the rat race. But it, it's worked out, like, the classes are actually pretty cool, so. I'm okay. I like school. I've always enjoyed school. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing. Like, it's it's easy to, to like kind of get tunnel vision and close-minded into like a certain scenario, but open things up and it's like, oh yeah, I'm learning shit. So how different is it doing this podcast on a boat versus doing it in a library? Well, for the first 15 minutes, I was a little nervous. I was gonna get sick. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because uh, I, I haven't had a beer in a few weeks, and then with the motion of the ocean, I was like, whoa, but uh, eventually we got accustomed to it. There you go. Yeah, but it is super cool, and it's, it's like nice and cozy. Uh, one of my favorite movies is Jaws, and I always love the boat scenes where they're hanging out inside, singing their drunk songs, and uh, I've always had this... I don't know, romantic notion of life on the sea, which right. is why I joined the Navy, but still never was assigned oh, to Oh, see, a I didn't even know you were a Navy guy. Good, ah. good thing I just said I like the Navy. <laughs> I thought I did mention it earlier. Uh, you said military. Oh, I didn't know okay. A branch. Okay, yeah, yeah, I was in the Navy, but yeah, I was never assigned to a boat or a ship or anything. But, uh, yeah. So, one of these days, I would love to have a boat similar to this and uh, a boat take it out on the water. Is its own little bubble of a world. Yeah. We're not even a part of the world. Look, yeah. we're right outside of Honolulu. Uh -huh. Like, that's the middle of town right there. Yeah. But but doesn't it feel it's like so we're, we're like on an adventure out here? Yeah. We're not yeah. even out at sea, but it's yeah. like, it's its own little space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love it. It reminds me of building a fort as a kid. <laughs> yes. Like, little <laughs> tiny childhood Sarah would be freaking out right uh -huh. now. Like, oh my god, there are so many cubbies. <laughs> exactly. Look at all these little spaces to put things. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got my all my fun things, all my toys. That's so cool. I have a whole cubby full of just hats and mm -hmm. masks. Yeah. Yep. I nice. love it. I love it. 
Cool. And of course, you know, taking it out sailing. Oh, yes. It's a beautiful, fantastic world of its own. I bet. Well, I do need to start wrapping up because I do need to get going here in a little bit. But one thing I do like to uh, uh, talk about and get it as deep or shallow as you want. Um, I'd like to uh, bring up uh, spirituality, faith, religion. Because that, mm. that was a big part of my life. It is a big part of my life, but uh, especially growing up. Grew up uh, in the, the Bible Belt in the South, North Carolina and stuff. And uh, it's been through some interesting experiences with it. Um, what is it to you? What, 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 is, what is life all about? What's the, why are we here? Ooh, well, that's a bunch of different questions all at once. Oh, okay. Well, the, oh my gosh. Pick your favorite. <laughs> Growing up in the woods in Colorado, mm. we had one really, really big tree mm. that we called the grandfather tree. Mm -hmm. And my father had been to Nepal earlier in his life, and he, he found this little clay mask that had like yak hair, uh, beard, it was a very weird and kind of creepy little mask, but he put it up on the grandfather tree uh -huh. and told us as kids stories hmm. about the grandfather tree. Hmm. The grandfather tree was the protector of the valley. Mm -hmm. It would ward off any bad spirits or bad energy that would come over from the foothills. Uh -huh. And it was like our, our protector god. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there were other trees around the property that we had that were special in some way. Mm -hmm. And anytime we'd find a really pretty rock or like a bone or a skull or a feather, mm -hmm. we would find the nearest one of those special trees and put it underneath like a little shrine. Cool. Just to show respect for the land, mm -hmm. for uh, the spiritual energy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And also to just make like it looks cool now. Like, yeah. <laughs> now this tree is definitely special because it's got a whole like nice arrangement underneath mm. it. So mm -hmm. I grew up in a very free flowy, uh, what do you think mm. kind of an environment. Nice. My dad never told me what to think. Mm. Uh, and he did his damnedest to expose me and my brother to all of the things. Okay. So we went to all the different churches that there were. Mm. We went to synagogue. We went to, I don't think I went to a mosque until later in life and on my own. Okay. Um, there's not a lot of Muslim influence in any of the places that we've been to as kids, but we traveled around the world. Mm -hmm. We traveled to Southeast Asia and experienced mm. Buddhism. Uh -huh. uh, my dad had been to India and Nepal previously and had some experience with Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And he graduated from Princeton with a theology degree. Wow. So he was, he's a philosopher, okay. my dad. Cool. So he never told us what to think, mm -hmm. but he gave us a lot of stuff to think about. Nice. So as a kid, I mm -hmm. used all of that mm -hmm. to establish an understanding of my own. Mm. Unique. Yeah. Um, and so for me, spirituality is a very personal thing. Mm. I do not think that there is a right or wrong way. Mm. I think everybody has their own way of understanding it, mm -hmm. and I think it's all the same thing. I agree. I think it's all the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, Many roads, one mountain. Right, right. It's all the same thing. And we all try to explain it differently because mm -hmm. there's not one right way mm -hmm. to explain it. Yeah. So I was exposed to a lot of that. Um, I like nature. Mm. I'm a nature spirit 
mm. person. Yeah. Very much like the trees I mentioned. Like mm. that that sings to me. Mm. I like connecting with the flow mm-hmm. and being okay with change. Mm. I also like the idea of destiny mm. or God's plan. Mm-hmm. That provides some comfort to me. Sure. It makes me feel like no matter what you're doing or how hard it is, it's all going to be okay in the end. Yeah. Um, and I guess with that comes a feeling that's like everybody's special. Mm-hmm. There's something that you're kind of meant to do. Also, I watch a show called My Little Pony. Oh, yeah. Friendship is magic. Uh-huh. And the ponies have a cutie mark, uh-huh. and the cutie mark is a representation of their special talent. What it is that makes them unique. Sure. And I like that idea hmm. that that it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. It's all we're all on the same plane. Yeah. We're all the same. Like we don't. We're not the same as individuals, but we're all people. Right. So that that underrides everything mm. that I do and think. Nice. Um, I might I might not feel the same about a person with a um, I don't know like a race car cutie mark. Like I'm like I'm not a racer. I'm not a race car person. Uh-huh. I, I like cars. I like my Jeep. But like cool man. Mm. Like respect. That's your thing. <laughs> cool. I mean we're not gonna be best friends, but that's fine. Like I'm just happy that you've got your thing going on. Sure. So, respect for all, nice. and an understanding that nobody's better or worse mm. than anyone else, and we're all kind of on a path. Mm-hmm. One of the things in My Little Pony is the concept of redemption. Mm. There are quite a few characters that come up that start out as really nasty, mm. like mean and shitty. Okay. Like, bad. There's even one that's like a communist, and she's (laughs) stripped everyone in her little village of all their cutie marks. Oh my gosh. She's taken their talents from them. Like, she's a very powerful unicorn with, like, magic and stuff. Okay. And she takes all their cutie marks, and now everyone's the same. Yes. And they all sing this really creepy song about, (laughs) now that we're all the same, nobody Uh is better than anyone. Right. And it's like, whoa, that shit's really fucking creepy. Like, Mm. she's fucked in the brain. Like, this pony is nasty. (laughs) I'm watching this stuff, I'm like, dude, this is a kid's show. Uh How is this happening? Wow. Holy crap. <laughs> but um, over time, over a series of episodes or the whole season, the concept friendship is magic. She's educated or shown or shared the idea that, you know, your uniqueness is beautiful mm. and you don't have to be the same in order to be on the same page kind of a thing. Right. And then that pony who previously was a totally very creepy authoritarian warlord person. <laughs> Um, actually becomes an important and well-loved, meaningful character that has been forgiven and is given a chance to move on in a positive way. That's awesome. So, I like that. My Little Pony, Friendship is Magic, is one of my favorite shows of all time, and I would (laughs) recommend it for literally anyone. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Literally anyone. Yeah. It was my brother, my Air Force military brother (laughs) that that first got me into that show. No kidding. Yeah. He's a brony? He's a brony. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So yeah, my, my spirituality, mm. I derive philosophically from my life experience. I think that's what everyone does. Yeah, yeah. Everybody just has different experiences. Sure. We start off in a certain way, but feel like 
anyone who's truly searching will break off from that at some point. You know, like leave the teachings of when I was a child and grow into the teachings as an adult. It could still be a uh, continuity or continuation from that, but you still you figure stuff out for yourself, you know, and and you learn like you know, maybe maybe Santa Claus isn't necessarily real. Maybe it's not that Santa Claus isn't real. He's just not how your parents described him. Right. Uh, I, a nice anecdote, I guess I could say about it is that uh, my dad went to Princeton. Mm-hmm. He became a lawyer. <laughs> he got a job. Mm. He bought a house. Mm. He got a wife. He had some kids. Mm. Followed a clear path. Mm. The American dream. Yeah. The American dream is a clear path. Mm-hmm. Much like, for example, Christianity. Mm. Clear path. Mm-hmm. This works. This makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's worked for me. It's worked for your granddad. It's worked for all of his ancestors in the past. This was a good thing. Mm. Um, but I gotta say, my dad is horrified mm. at my path. Oh. Because it's not that same path. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, you're, you know, you're... You're doing it wrong. Like uh, this, this could go very wrong for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the same for for some very religious people. Like yeah. I, I don't know. There's a lot of vitriol, and people are convinced that there literally is only one way that's the right way. Mm-hmm. Much in the same way, I'm sure that a lot of conservative parents are upset when their kids come out as gay. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's on their own path. We need to practice a little more tolerance mm-hmm. and need to respect everybody else's uniqueness and independence. Mm-hmm. There's no reason to say that somebody else is doing it wrong. Right. Nobody knows better. Nobody. Right. Nobody yeah. knows any better. Mm-hmm. It's worked for them, but that doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. Exactly. I went flying the other day. I flew an airplane. Nice. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I flew an airplane for maybe a third of the time um, towards Molokai. Nice. I wasn't a big deal. I wasn't doing the takeoff and landing, uh, but I was yeah, doing yeah. the thing. I was uh-huh. playing with the yoke and going up and down, going side and side and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I called my brother afterwards and told him I flew an airplane. My brother is a pilot. Mm-hmm. It's his favorite thing. <laughs> he loves it. Yeah. And he was like, oh, what'd you think? I was like, yeah, it was all right. <laughs> and he's like, what? Yeah. What? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's it was fun. It's, you know, it's just not really my thing. Mm-hmm. And he like, Whoa! how dare you? How dare you not think that my thing is the best thing you've ever done? And uh-huh. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, hold on, brother. Like, <laughs> do you like entomology? And he's like, well, not really. And I'm like, okay, that's yes. kind of the point here. Right, 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 right. Everybody's got their own way, and it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it's better or worse than anybody else's way. Mm-hmm. That is my take on spirituality, religion, and faith. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. Alas. I must depart. But thank you so much for doing this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for letting me to uh, come on board and sit down and talk with you. This has been great. Huzzah! Huzzah! It's always more fun on a boat. Yes. (laughs) I'm glad that you didn't get seasick. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. It's possible to get seasick even when you're not out at sea. Yeah, it's very... I'm surprised. I don't know what I, I expected, but I'm just... I didn't expect... All the swaying motion right, right now. But, right? Yeah. I think it's about your peripheral vision. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Looking out there a couple times, it looks like we're like, wait, are we drifting out? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going this way. That one's going that way. But, uh, yeah, I just like to end the podcast by saying, uh, be true. So, um, I would say, it, be true. And if you wouldn't mind adding to that. Be true to yourself. Yeah, exactly. 
Be true to your purpose. Be true to your cutie mark. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thank you so much. <laughs>